Welcome to the Rocky Messages Podcast. Rocky is a community of believers that want to know Jesus and love like him. If there's something today you'd like to hear more about, make sure to listen to our weekly podcast called Rocky Unscripted. This is where we take Sunday topics and go even further with conversation, research, and study. But for now, let's take a listen to this week's message. Amen. Church, it's, it's good to be with you today. I, I hope you're excited to be here, and I'm excited you were here today, and excited we got our Frederick campus joining us live. We've got a ton of people online with us. We love you guys. Glad you're with us. And I t- I'm excited you're here today, but I'm like really excited that you're going to be here next week, right? You guys are going to be here next week because it's Easter Sunday, correct? Yeah. It's going to be a great Sunday. I, I'm, a, I'm encouraged. I, I'm, I know a ton of people that have been inviting people, and I think it's going to be our best Sunday of the year, so I would encourage you to do that. Um, most people, we said it last week, uh, most people, if you would just invite them, they would show up. They show up to Easter Sunday. Now, they might say, hey, on another Sunday, I don't know, but most people are predisposed in their kind of natural rhythm growing up that if someone would just invite them, they would show up to Easter services. So Fred Campus, I want you guys to be doing it. Nawa Campus, I want you to be doing it. And if you're online, man, just extend the invitation to somebody to join you online, join you at your house, or just to be watching, because I think it's going to be a great Sunday. All right, so who are you going to invite? Let's be here next week. Services 9.15, 10.45, regular service times at both campuses. It's going to be great. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to get your phones or your Bibles, and I want you to get to John chapter 1, and we're going to start out in verse 43. And here's what I'd say before we jump into the passage, that there's nothing that compares to a firsthand experience. Let me say that again. Would you not agree that there's nothing that, exp- that it compares to a firsthand experience? And what I mean by that is, is you could try, you could have some experience that's incredibly awesome. Like think of something that you've experienced in life that you just want to tell somebody about. Like this is just so great that they've got to experience it. And so you sit down with them or you see them, you know, in, in the grocery store and you're talking to them. You're like, dude, we just had this happen. And let me tell you about it. And you realize in the middle of your conversation that there's no words that you can actually describe, used to describe what you really experienced. Their eyes glaze over a little bit or you're like, you're just not catching this. Like I'm trying to explain this to you. It was awesome. And you're not as excited as I am. You've had that experience. Best example I could give is this. In 2007, I had my first opportunity to go to Africa. Now, I had heard a ton of people that had gone on mission trips or gone on vacations or whatever, and they'd gone to Africa, and they would all come back and they would say the same thing. They would be like, Sean, I don't even know how to describe it. Like, I have never seen anything so expansive like, space is so expansive in my life. And they would describe this. They say, man, I've been on top of Long's Peak, the 14er, and I've looked out across Colorado, and it's beautiful, but it's like that big compared to Africa. So 2007, I got on a plane. I flew over. It took forever to get to Nairobi, Kenya. And then we, we got on a bus, and we were heading out to the bush, and we went out, and I remember coming over this side of this canyon and came down into the Rift Valley, and I looked around, and I'm like, I get it now. Like, it was the most expansive big space that I had ever seen in my entire life. It was beautiful. It was amazing. I could tell you about it right now, but you just have to experience it. Now, I've heard people talk about safaris, and they're like, man, you would not believe it. You go down to Maasai Mara, just uh, south of, of Nairobi, and you go down there, and there's so much water, and, and all the animals gather. You've never seen anything like it. And, and I thought, well, yeah, okay, I've seen, like, you know, stuff on television, and 
It's not different than that. And then I showed up, and I'm like, I have never seen this many exotic animals in the same place. We drove away from this lake and headed down this gravel road, and I look up in a tree, and I literally see a gazelle. I'm like, gazelles don't climb trees here, do they? And they're like, no, leopards do. A leopard attacked that gazelle and took him up there. And then we saw the leopard dive out of the tree and hyenas chase the leopard. And are like, you just don't see this stuff. You can't explain it. And then we drove into the Mathari Valley, which is the slums. And, and we have our school in Medoya that's there in the Mathari Valley. And I'm telling you, folks, I can't describe it. You just have to experience it. Like, you should go with us to Kenya sometime. Like, you should go on a mission trip. But I'm telling you, I drove into the Mathari Valley, and I've heard there's more people in this place than you, you could ever imagine seeing. Guys, understand, there are more people in the Mathari Valley, in the slums of Medoya and the other slums around it, than there are in the city of Seattle, than the city of Boston, than the city of Denver, and you have no context for that because what you don't understand when I say that is all of those people are packed in a three-square-mile area. Like, guys, I'm just telling you, Africa is the best example I could give that I could just sit here and try to describe it to you and say, Dude, it's so expansive, it's so amazing, there's so many experiences, but you just have to see it to believe it. You see, there is nothing like a firsthand experience with something that's amazing. And when you step back into our faith, and we talk about this idea, we've been doing this series called RSVP, and it's talking about the invitations of Jesus and really just kind of that passion that God gives to us, that mission he gives to invite people to meet him. You can do anything and everything you can try. You can try to use any words you can just muster up to try to describe who Jesus is. Like if you really just step back and if you understand who Jesus is and what his grace is and what salvation is about and the lengths at which he went to create this entire plan to get Jesus to the cross, to the resurrection, the Easter story, and then how he's approached you, you can try to use words to describe that. But the reality is this, nothing compares to a firsthand experience. And so when you experience something in faith, when you experience who Jesus is and how amazing he is, the natural invitation ought to be to those around us should be what? Just come and see. Just come and see. Last summer I had the opportunity to take my two daughters and my dad. We went to Africa and they saw everything we talked about and they said, we get it. It's amazing because we see it. It's the same with faith. The best invitation that we could give to anyone about Jesus is, man, I could try to describe it to you, but you're just gonna have to come and see. John chapter one, starting verse 43, John and some of his friends the day before have been around Jesus. John writes this book, but he's, it's interesting, he writes the book, but he never names himself in the book. He'll talk about the disciple Jesus loves or, or another disciple that was there. It's always John. That's who he's talking about. And so John, the day before, had been walking around, and Jesus looked at him, and he said, hey, follow me. And Jesus had looked the day before, and he looked at Peter, Andrew, and James, and, and he had said, hey, guys, follow me. And so he's choosing his disciples in this moment and calling them to follow him. And we get to this passage, and he's calling two more. In verse 43, it says, the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, finding Philip, which Philip would have known Jesus already, Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Bethsaida was a fishing town, so um, Philip was probably already a fisherman. He was a fisherman. He probably knew it from what we see here. He knew Peter and Andrew and James and John. It says, Philip found Nathanael, and he told him, 
we found the one that Moses wrote about in the law, about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So catch what's happening here. Jesus is choosing, he's picking some guys to follow him. He's talked to Peter, Andrew, James, and John. These guys all know each other. They're from a fishing village, they're fishermen. And then he extends to some other guys that they know. And he goes to Philip. Who's Philip? Well, we know he's from Bethsaida. Bethsaida was a fishing town. We've already established that. He's a fisherman. But Philip becomes one of the disciples, ultimately. And here's an interesting thing about Philip. Do you know that Philip is the first guy in the book of Acts, so after Jesus is resurrected, after Jesus has sent the disciples on this church planning mission that he said, go into all the world, do you know that they stayed in Jerusalem for years? Like, you read it and you think, well, you know, they started, you know, Samaritans started accepting Jesus a few chapters in and other people. Do you know Philip was the one guy, he was the first guy that said, hey, this, he said go into all the world, shouldn't we do that? And so Philip jumped outside of Jerusalem. He's the first guy that goes to non-Jewish people. He goes to a Samaritan village, which the Jews hated the Samaritans. He's like, guys, I found something so incredible that I just need to tell you about it. Let me tell you about this Jesus guy and a whole village of Samaritans come to Christ. You see, Philip just had this personality where he does exactly what he's getting ready to do to Nathaniel, his buddy, and he says, you just gotta come and see. He just shares. And so you got Philip, who's gonna be one of Jesus' disciples. He's a fisherman. He knows these other guys. And he naturally, when he sees something incredible with Jesus, what does he do? He goes to his best, best friend, Nathaniel, and he's like, hey, you, you just gotta come and check this out. We found the Messiah, the one the prophets have talked about, the one who's gonna save Israel, be the king of the Jews. We found him. And then, and then he says, here it is, Nathaniel, come with me. So who's Nathaniel? Interesting enough, Nathaniel's another fisherman. Why do we know that? In John chapter 21, uh, he is listed as one of the disciples that is fishing with Peter. Um, right after Peter has denied Jesus, he goes back to fishing. He's like, what are we gonna do? And Jesus shows up, there's this great catch of fish, and he calls the disciples and he challenges them to go out into the world. So we know Nathaniel is actually a disciple because in John chapter 21, verse 21, it says that Nathaniel from Cana was with, was one of and with the other disciples. Interesting though, Nathaniel in the list of disciples in the books of Matthew, Mark, and Luke is not listed. It's like, what's that? Like, is it a contradiction here? John says in John chapter 21 that he's a disciple, he's followed Jesus, he's one of the 12, and then Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't list him. Well, interesting enough, in that day, most Jewish men would have a Greek name and a Jewish name. And so they would have two names. And so the interesting thing in those lists, when you track in Mark chapter three and Luke chapter six and Matthew chapter 10, those lists, you get to Philip and the next guy that's listed after Philip every single time is a guy named Bartholomew. And historians, as they've studied through, they said they're the same guy. There's all this evidence that points to these two are the same guy. We've got a Jewish name and we've got a Greek name. And it's interesting that he's listed after Philip every time. So archaeological evidence, historical evidence, non-biblical writings actually pair these two guys together. And they spend the rest of their lives doing missions work together. And so what you've got is you've got these two close friends where one of them says, I've experienced something awesome. And his natural reaction is to go to the other one and say, dude, you gotta come and see. Nathaniel, get over here with me and come and see. Now it's interesting, Nathaniel's reaction, because if you recall, Philip said, we found the Messiah. We found the ones the prophets have prophesied about. He's Jesus of Nazareth. Here's 
Philip's, or excuse me, Nathaniel's response. Verse 45, 46. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. And Philip is so frustrated by that point, he's like, it's awesome, quit worrying about the details. Like, just come and see. And so he says, come and see. Now, why did Nathaniel have that reaction? Well, it's interesting, historically speaking, if you go back into the Old Testament, Nazareth is never mentioned. Like, it's never written about in the Old Testament. If you go into the rabbinical writings, Nazareth is never mentioned. If you go into some of the pagan writings, and I'll look at all the pagan writings, historical writings, Nazareth is never mentioned. Now, you do have mention in the New Testament because what happened when Jesus was born is Herod wanted to take out all of the boys of Bethlehem, and so he killed all the boys two years old and under, and Joseph and Mary, what did they do? They escaped to Egypt. When they came back, they were afraid of Herod's son, who was now the king, and so they settled where? In Nazareth. Why do you settle in Nazareth? Why does Nathaniel look at Nazareth and he's like, Nazareth, nothing good comes from Nazareth because you get this, Nazareth was one of those don't blink towns. Like you, think about where you grew up. Think about those towns that were around where you grew up. Was there a no, don't blink town where you grew up? Man, mine was Tyro, Kansas. Like anybody know where Tyro, Kansas is? Didn't think so. Fred Campus, I'm sure, didn't think so. Online, there may be one person in Kansas that knows where Tyro, Kansas is. I lived in Bartlesville, Oklahoma. It was 30 minutes away. My aunt and uncle lived in Tyro. And uh, I would always remember the sign. We would drive in and Tyro said, population 104. I mean, there were more cows than there were people in Tyro, Kansas, like a lot more. It was just one of those nobling towns. But where do you settle when you're coming back and trying to hide from a king? You settle in a town like Nazareth. Now we have archeological um, evidence that Nazareth did uh, exist when Jesus was alive, um, when he was born. And we also, if you go to Israel right now, I could take you to Nazareth, I've been there. But interesting enough, when you drive up the side of this huge granite round plateau, you get up to the top and they tell you the history of Nazareth. Nazareth. Nazareth has no water source to it. To us, no big deal. You just pipe some water up there, we create a town. That's what's there now. In Jesus's day, when you walk for water, Nazareth is a no-blink town. And so that's why they settled there. And so it, if you were called a Nazarene, it meant you were a nobody from nowhere. And so Jesus was from Nazareth, and Nathaniel naturally looked, and he says, what? Nothing good can come from Nazareth. And so what did Philip do? Philip gave him the natural invitation that you give when words can't explain how amazing something is. He said to him, come and see. The book of John, come and see, is like an invitation that you see mentioned over and over again, and there's different forms of come and see, and they're actually invitations, and they're not given by Philip, they're given by Jesus. So if you track through the book of John, here's what you find. In John chapter one, Jesus actually looks at Philip. Before Philip says this is Nathaniel, he looks at Philip, and Philip's following him. You see, Philip had been one of John the Baptist's disciples, Jesus' cousin, and now Jesus is on the scene and Philip's following. He's following real close. He's like stalking Jesus and Jesus turns around. He's like, whoa, whoa, back off, bud. What do you need? And Philip has no idea. If you read the story, it's, you just see this in it. He has no idea what to say. And so he's like, uh, uh, where are you staying? And Jesus says, come and see. And Philip does with one other disciple that we figure out is John. And they go and they come and see and they hang out with Jesus all day. And naturally after that, Jesus finds him and says, Philip, follow me. 
You go on to John chapter 7, there's another invitation. It's kind of the same, just tweaked just a little bit. And the crowd is at a feast, and Jesus stands up, and he's talking to the crowd, and he says, just come and drink. You go on to John chapter 21, and, and Jesus sits down on the beach, beach with his disciples, and he's reinstating Peter after he's denied him three times. And disciples are getting ready to think, man, he is going to pull us together. He is going to kick our butts. And Jesus has breakfast waiting for him on the beach, and he's like, guys, come and eat. You see, the invitation of Jesus was not complicated. The invitation of Jesus was simply to come and see, come and drink, and come and eat. And I think for us, what we have a tendency to do in our faith is we have a tendency to forget that this thing called faith, following Jesus, is not just showing up on Sunday. It's not just going to a small group. It's not just learning about Jesus. What the mission that God has given us is to invite people to come and have a firsthand experience with Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, your mission It's to not only grow closer to him yourself, but to get other people closer to him. And that's why we have this value around this place called For the One. And if you showed up in the last month, you just walked in and you saw this new wall and you can see a picture of it and and it's our one wall and it's this, this visual of our value for the one. Every light that's lit up on that wall represents someone who's given their life to Christ in the last year. And man, we want to fill that wall. Here at Niwot, there's like 750 bowls that fill that space. And at Fred, it's a bigger space, like 875 bowls. We want to fill that wall because we believe our mission that God has given us is to invite people to have a firsthand experience with Jesus. We are for the one. What's, what does that mean? For the one? I get the value, but where does it come from? It comes from Luke chapter 15. Jesus is standing in front of a crowd. He's teaching and he tells the stories. He tells three parables about three lost things. Lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. You might be familiar. And in each one of those stories, he makes the point that it was really important to the person who owned that thing or the person who was related to that thing, it was really important to that person to find that thing that was lost. That thing was where, not where it was supposed to be. It was in danger, and it needed to be brought back to where it was supposed to be. And so the owner went to great lengths to find it. And so Jesus tells a story about the lost sheep, and he says the lost, or the shepherd left the 99 to go find what? The one. We're for the one. We'll do anything in our power to go out there and find people who are not where they're supposed to be and to get them closer to Jesus so they can, can experience what he offers. Lost coin. A woman loses a really expensive, important heirloom, a coin, and what does she do? She sweeps the entire house, she moves all the furniture, she looks until she finds it. The lost son, we know that story, the prodigal son, he goes off and lives in wild living, and the father, what does he do? He waits, and he watches every day for the son to come home. When the son comes home, does he rebuke him? Does he cast him out of the family? Does he make him a slave? No, he opens his arms, have a party, and he puts his robe on him. He says, you're my son. And what's Jesus' point? That's my mission. I've got something to offer, and I've asked you, if you are a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, if you're a follower of me, I've just asked you to be a part of that mission. And so the best invitation, the simplest invitation that we could give, we just see it over and over through the book of John, is simply this. Jesus says, hey, just invite them like I did. Come and see. Come grab a coffee. Come grab lunch. Let's talk about life. Let's talk about what's going on. Let's, Let's talk about Man, what I've found in my life that's made a difference, you should just invite somebody to come and see. And I would make the argument 
that the invitation to come and see is the best invitation that we could give, and here's why. It goes on in verse 47. It says, when Jesus saw Nathanael, so Nathanael responded. He's like, all right, Philip, man, I get it. I don't think anything great could come from Nazareth, but just because we're buds and pals, man, I trust you. I'll just check it out. I'll come and see. So when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, he said, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me, Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip had called. Then Nathanael declared, he said, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Let me ask you this. Do you believe in divine appointments? Have you ever had an invitation that just kind of changed the direction of your life? I remember 10 years ago, it's about 10 years ago right now, I got called up for a lunch with this guy called Alan Algram, former lead pastor at this church, and we just had lunch and we talked, and it was in March 10 years ago, and it started a conversation that changed the trajectory of my life. My question for you is like, do you believe in divine appointments? And have you ever had an invitation that changed things? Nathaniel experiences an invitation here, changes his life. All because a buddy of his is willing to say, hey, come and see. And here's why come and see is the best invitation you could ever give. Because this, because it's not dependent upon you. Like there's nothing in this invitation that depended on Philip. Everything depended on Jesus. What's interesting in the passage is in in verse 46, it says, Philip says to Nathaniel, well, just come and see. You don't even see Philip in the rest of the passage. Like it's the last time in this particular story that you see Philip even mentioned because it's not about Philip. Like the invitation was not dependent on him. It was dependent all upon Jesus. And Nathaniel walks in and Jesus just starts doing some work because Jesus can see a whole lot more underneath the surface of people than we can. And he says something that does some deep heart work just immediately into Nathaniel. And all of a sudden Nathaniel's opening up and he's saying, you, you are somebody. I don't know how you came from Nazareth, but you are somebody. And I think the hard thing for us is one of the things that we've got to remember is what Jesus says to us is I'm asking you to do the simple work of inviting people to come and see and then I will do the rest. I want you to simply invite somebody just to show up, to come and see, however you do that, whether it's inviting them to dinner, whether it's inviting to Easter services, whether it's inviting to whatever, just invite them to come and see, and then you get out of the way, and I will take care of the rest. And I have seen it over and over and over again, simple invitations leading to incredible conversations that change people's lives, that create divine appointments where we just go, I don't know how that happened because that was not me. But the problem is this. I think the problem is that most of us as Christians, statistically speaking, I don't even say this, that statistically speaking, most Christians will never lead another person to a point of decision for Christ in their entire life. Most people won't. And, most, and the reason I think that is is because what we have a tendency to do as Christians is we, it's easy to come and sit in the seats. It's easy to come and learn. It's easy to sign up for a rooted group and just jump into that. It's easy to do those things. But tell somebody else about my faith, that scares me to death. We overcomplicate things. And we begin to think, I, I, what, I don't even know if I'd have the answer. 
Like, what, what if they asked a question that I don't even know what scripture to take them to? Like, I don't know what I would say. And, and what if they say no? And we make this overcomplicated thing. Let me ask you this. If I was to come out and grab you out of the seats and say, I want you to go with me right now. We're gonna go out into the lobby and here's what we're gonna do. We've got a person who's out there who's just really curious about Jesus. And I think they're ready to make a decision today. And here's what I want you to do. I've gotta be up here and preach. So what I want you to do is I want you to go out there. I'm gonna give you a Bible. I'm gonna give them a Bible. And I'm just gonna let you two go to it. And I want you to take them from the point of like, just go through scripture, like find some scriptures, right? And I want you to teach them those scriptures. And I want you to take them through and teach them about sin, teach them about grace, teach them about salvation, sanctification, all those things, give you all kinds of big church words. And I want you to lead them to the point of them saying, yeah, I I think I wanna pray and accept Jesus right now and I wanna get baptized. What would you do? you would probably wet yourself and say, no way, right? Like, there's no, there's no way I would do that. I, some of you say, yeah, man, I'm, I'm confident. But the vast majority, 95% of the people sitting here, 95% sitting there online or at the Frederick campus, you would say, there's no way. I would mess that up so bad. I have no idea where to take them. Some of you are like, man, man, I know like John 3.16 and Philippians 4.13, but I can't really remember what they say. I just kind of see them on Tim Tebow's eye black, right? And Steph Curry's shoes. And maybe I'll start there because they gotta be good if they like them, right? You have no idea. Now, interesting enough, that happened to me. It did. So I was 18 years old. Um, you know, I'm, most of you know that my dad's a pastor. And so I grew up, my dad was my pastor. And, and uh, my dad has a huge heart, just like Philip was sharing Jesus with people. And, and so I would go with him every once in a while. And I remember when I was 18, I get in the car and I had gone with my dad quite a few times to see him share with people in our church or from the community that said, hey, I just wanna know more about Jesus and I think, I think I'm really interested, I'm re- really curious. And my dad has this just incredible way he would just sit down and naturally find common ground and talk through scripture and just make it really natural. And I'd seen him do it a lot, he was really good at it. Well, he knew that that next year, that fall, I, I decided I wanted to give my life to being a pastor and I was gonna go to seminary. And so we pulled up, I, remember, I just remember in his little Ford Ranger, we pull up to this house and, We'd done it a you know, ton of times before and we would always go out to eat after and just kind of chat about the conversation and, and uh, just hang out together. And we pull up and he's like, all right, man, you're up. I'm like, um, I'm, I'm like am I buying? Am I buying you know, taco time after? Is that what you're saying I'm up for? What, what? He's like, no, no, you're up. So bring your Bible in. You're up. Today we're gonna walk in and you're gonna sit down and you're gonna share. And I'm telling you, I had the same reaction you did. If I had a drink, I'd have spit it all over the windshield. I just was like, Dad, no. I, Dad, I, I don't know if I do it right. I'll mess things up. I, I'm not sure if I, he's like, you'll be fine. You've seen me do it before. I'll help you through. It'll be just fine. And then he got out the car and walked up to the door. Didn't give me a chance to answer. And so I, I follow him in and we go in, we sit down, we sit down at the dining table. And, and uh, I just remember this mom and her couple kids and we just start talking and Sharon and my dad makes it real normal. We're just talking about life and they begin to talk about their curiosity about Jesus. And he says, hey, you know what? If you're okay with it, man, Sean's gonna help me and we're just gonna talk through some scriptures and love to share with you about Jesus, what we believe about him, what the Bible says. And then he goes, go ahead. (laughs) I'm like, yeah. I opened my Bible and I just started. And then he helped me through and he helped me and he probably corrected like five or six mistakes that, you know, and, and, but I stumbled through and sweating through and stuttering through and going through the whole thing. And to my amazement, my dad helping me through, that family got baptized a couple weeks later. 
Pretty cool moment. Interesting enough, though, why did my dad do that? My dad did that because he knew that, that the best way we learn is we do it by experience. And he knew that I was studying to go be a pastor and I was gonna have to be doing that someday. And so he put me in the position and said, man, the best way that you could do this is for me to help you through and for you to do it yourself. Just show of hands, how many of you guys are going to seminary next year? Nobody. Nobody in the room. Now, maybe somebody's curious. They're taking some online. That's great. But the mass majority of people, you're sitting there and you're like, what would happen if I actually talked to somebody about my faith? I'd have to ask her, answer questions. I wouldn't know where to go. And we freak out about this whole thing when all Jesus is actually asking us to do is extend a simple invitation to say, come and see. And what I've seen happen over and over again is that when we find common ground with people and we just simply ask them to come and see, what God does is he kind of takes over and he begins to guide and direct the conversation and what they're really not looking for is every scripture in the book of Romans or the book of John or the book of 1 Corinthians or whatever it is about, they're gonna forget that. They're looking to connect with a real person, with a real story of life change, of man, I don't have all the answers to that question, but here's what I found, and you know what? If you just come with me, I bet we could find some answers. And so church, I, I think my challenge to us is quit overcomplicating things. Like why in the world, if Jesus is who we say he is, if he is the all-knowing creator of the universe that knows us, that loves us, then why don't we just Invite people to come and see and to get out of the way because I think he is completely capable of doing the work of getting a person where they are to where they need to be. When's the last time you invited somebody to come and see? If you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Christ, it is a part of your mission, not just his mission, it is a part of your mission to invite someone to come and see. And the come and see invitation is the best invitation, it is the simplest invitation because it's not dependent on what you know. It's just dependent on who you know. It's dependent on him. And Jesus does the work for us. It goes on in the passage and it gets to verse 50 and 51 and this is the biggest reason. Guys, this is the biggest reason that come and see is the best invitation. And Jesus said, so Nathaniel's responded. He's like, man, you are somebody amazing. I don't know how you came from, the, from Nazareth, but you are someone who's amazing. Nathaniel's had this divine appointment. That invitation just ended up changing his life. And then Jesus says, Nathaniel, you haven't seen anything yet. Check this out. He says, you believe because I told you I saw you under a fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Most of us read that passage, we have no idea what he's talking about. Nathaniel would have made some connections. He would have made at least some Old Testament connections. It's, Jesus was saying, Nathaniel, what, you, what you're gonna see, he wasn't literally saying angels descending and ascending from heaven. He says, what you're gonna see is you're gonna see me be able to connect the dots, be the connector between heaven and earth and get people who are lost or not where they're supposed to be back where they're supposed to be to experience something they never could have imagined. Here's the background. It's an Old Testament reference. Ascending and descending, a ladder to heaven. In Genesis chapter 29, there's a guy named Jacob, very important person in the Old Testament. You think of Israel, the people of God, where did they get their name? Well, Jacob was, there was Abraham, 
Abraham had Isaac, and then Isaac had a couple sons, Jacob and Esau, right? Well, Jacob is this Jacob, and Jacob and Esau, and, and he becomes, actually, he becomes the one who Israel is named after, because earlier in the book of Genesis, he wrestles with God, and after wrestling with God, God changes his name. He says, you will no longer be called Jacob, you will be called Israel. So from that point on, his name is Israel, hence the name for the nation of Israel. Then his sons become the names of the tribes of Israel. Their families are the original tribes, the original families of the tribe of Israel. So get this, this guy is an incredibly important person. So in Genesis 29, he's laying out in the middle of the field. He falls asleep and he has a dream. And God is communicating to him. He's saying, Jacob, just stay with me. Israel, stay with me, because here's what I'm doing. I change your name. I'm gonna make a great people through you and through your family line all people will be blessed through one. It's gonna come through your family line all the way down to one who will connect heaven and earth. You might remember the passage, it's the passage talking about Jacob's ladder or, or the stairway to heaven. I don't know if Led Zeppelin was playing in the background, but, uh, but it was a dream where he saw a stairway to heaven. So he has this dream in the middle of this vision and this promise, seeing angels ascending and descending, and it was just God giving a picture saying, somebody's gonna come and make the connection. Jesus is sitting there with Nathaniel. He's saying, Nathaniel, here's the thing. Just like this divine appointment is gonna change your life, you need to understand that at the cross and through the resurrection, I will be, become the one the prophets have talked about. I will be the Messiah who connects heaven and earth. I will be the one, even in John chapter 14, he makes a statement, he says, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is saying, Nathaniel, you haven't seen anything yet because at the cross and at the resurrection, forever sin will be wiped out, the disconnect with God will be wiped out, and God and mankind will be brought together in the kind of relationship that people can't imagine with the kind of blessings you could never imagine. John 14, six, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's been said. A lot of people talk about that verse, and they say, man, that is the most exclusive verse. That's so exclusive. Like, he's saying he's the only way. There's all kinds of ways. And isn't there tons of great ways to get to God? I and mean, there's all kinds of different religions. Isn't God okay with you getting there however you get there? Jesus said no. He said there's only one that can wipe out the penalty of sin, the perfect son of God that can wipe out that penalty. So he said yes. It's an exclusive statement, but if you might think about it a little bit different way, we might actually think about it being an incredibly inclusive statement. Because while Jesus says he is the only way, he doesn't say only you can come, or only you can come, or only certain types of people can come. He sends an invitation to the entire world to say this is available and open to everybody. I don't care what your sin is today. I don't care where you've been or what your background is or what your story is. All he's saying is just come and see. Because I'm inviting you to something amazing. Church, I think, I know, Scripture says, Jesus says, you prove your faith. Like, hear me out on this. You prove your faith when you are willing to have the guts to look at someone you care about and say, Man, I don't know, I, just, I can't even describe it to you, but you should come and see. 
We prove our faith when we jump in. We prove our understanding of our mission when we look at somebody and we say, man, I've been thinking about you and I know there's difficult stuff going on in your life. Hey, let's grab some coffee with the intention of loving them, praying for them, and allowing Jesus to inject himself into that conversation. You prove your faith when you look at Easter Sunday and say, it is the best Sunday of the year. I should ask somebody to come and see. Because we prove that we believe that it's what the story is all about. It's what history is all about. And I didn't with this, and I just say, I don't know. God, I was delirious thinking about this the other day. I don't know what other way. Like, you can describe to people and say, I'm telling you, God just does incredible things when you connect with him. I, I don't, it, let me just help you understand. He says, when you ask, you will receive. He says, when you seek, you will find. What, what he's saying there is, when you call out to him, man, he will show up in ways that only you actually can figure out. You can say that to people, but the only way they truly experience that and understand that is when they come and see. You can say to people, I, I'm telling you, man, when you get to know who Jesus is and you begin to love like him, here's what happens, man. He begins to change your relationships and you begin to serve more and love more and care for people more. And you begin to love those in your family in selfless ways you haven't done before. You even get this thing where you can start loving people you don't even like. Because you know God created them. You might even begin to love yourself or even understand the God who created you and love him. And you can tell people all that. But my experience and what I've seen and what scripture says is the only way they can actually understand is if you invite them to come and have a firsthand experience with Jesus themselves. Man, I am the way, the truth, and the life is an exclusive statement, but it might be also the most inclusive, it's available to everyone. It might be the most loving statement just to say to the world, if this is the only way, then here's the way. You should come and see. And probably the most unloving thing we could do is come to church, create great friendships, learn a whole lot of knowledge, and never invite anyone to come and see. It's easy, it's simple, it's part of our mission to just invite people, come and see. Come grab a coffee. Come have dinner with me. Come over, neighbors, just come over. Let's get to know each other. Or even, hey, come to Easter services with me and sit with me. Church, my challenge for you this week is this. Every single morning when you get up to ask God to give you a come and see moment. I've been doing it all week and it's amazing how he's showing up. Or maybe he's just always been there and actually I'm showing up. I'm actually realizing in that conversation, wow, there's a connection. And I have not run around telling everybody, you should come to Easter Sunday. Some people aren't ready to hear that. It's been, hey, we should grab dinner together. We should grab lunch. It'd be awesome. And I'm just trusting that God's gonna show up and let them see. My challenge to you is pray that prayer and then in the moment, show up and invite somebody to come and see. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that your son came. We're just so grateful that he came and allowed us to see who you are. Just give us a visual picture and, and understanding of the love and the grace and the righteousness and the goodness and the kindness of you. And Father, I pray for the person who's sitting in one of our rooms or watching online today that just like, man, I, I want some of that, but I don't even understand. Father, just help them to realize it's, un, it's simple. Just come a little closer. Ask a few more questions. Just come and see. 
And then God, for each and every one of us as we walk out of these doors today or we click offline today, Father, I pray that we would just pray that prayer and say, give me some moment today where I can invite someone to just come. And so, Father, put people in our way. Help us to run into them. Help us to be available in the situation. Help us to slow down and just to engage and find common ground and invite people to come and see. Father, we just want to lift up Easter in advance. We pray it's going to be an incredible Sunday, and I pray these seats at both campuses and online will be full and packed with people who are coming to see. So, God, we trust you. We believe it's going to happen. Help us to have courage. It's in your son's name that we pray.